0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're actually going to be giving an overview of the first two chapters, Luke 1 and 2, this morning. And if you're joining us or it's been a while... Uh, know that we have been going through an overview of the Bible so far. So we've been taking this year, uh, normally what we would do is we would preach through every single verse of a book of a Bible. We would do an Old Testament and a New Testament each year and some of the Psalms and something in between.
1: This year what we're doing is
0: we are moving through an overview of the Bible from creation to restoration, from Genesis to Revelation, the beginning of all things to the renewal of all things. Notice I didn't say the end of all things renewal of all things, right? And so that's what we've been doing. And we've been in the Old Testament so far this whole time. And this morning, we get to one of the gospel accounts. We get to open up in Luke and see the coming of the promised rescue, the coming of Jesus, the birth of Christ. And I know it's August. It's not Christmas time. And we're doing the birth of Jesus sermon. So that's weird, right? It's not weird. (laughs) This is what our whole faith is built around. It's all the Bible has been pointing forward to and looking forward to the coming of this rescuer. And everything that happens after that is also looking back at that point when Jesus came to this earth, when he lived, when he died, when he rose again. That that culmination of those events altogether is one climactic moment that has changed history for all time. And it's given us hope for life, even after death. So that's what we're looking at this morning. So in Luke 2, I'm going to read for us, I'm reading out of the CSB this morning, from verses 25 through 38. We're going to hear about, at this point, Jesus has been born, and I'll backtrack, we'll give some overview of how that happened, but Jesus has been born, and there are two people in particular who see him when his family, when his parents, Mary and Joseph, bring him to the temple. So they go to the temple. This is part of their custom, their practice. After a child was born, and they would go, and they would uh, think about, like, child dedication, (laughs) only not as lax as we do it, right? And So they're going to the temple for this certain ritual, and this is what we see, two people, Simeon and Anna. We're going to zoom in on what they say. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, which means all nations who are not Israel, and glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed. A sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God day and night, with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of God's word, Father, we ask that as we look at your word this morning, that we would see the wonderful work of salvation that has come through Jesus, that we would see your great love for us, that we would see how you are still at work in our lives and in your world today, And that we would see our part in that, by your grace, by your spirit, and the power of Jesus, To the glory of the Father, we pray these things. So when I was in about seventh grade, I went with my dad to this cookout that his church was having. It was a Southern Baptist church uh, in Glendale, and I only got to go every other weekend to this church with him, and that was if he happened to go on that weekend, because I went to my mom's house on the other weekends. So I didn't know the other kids at this church as well as many of them knew each other. So I went to this cookout at Swore Ranch Park. And I was keeping my distance a little bit because I was also a very shy, introvert, youngster. My parents are still shocked that I speak in front of people today. So I'm sitting there, kids are playing volleyball, adults are playing volleyball, my dad's sitting back in a chair, and I'm just kind of squatting down next to him, just hanging out and watching. I love to people watch, and I love to watch for when it's safe for me to engage, right? So I'm watching, but I see out of the corner of my eye to the left here, a group of young girls, And I've seen them before on some other Sundays when I've come. And there was one girl in particular that I had a crush on. And I'm listening to their conversation. And I can overhear them talking about who that girl had a crush on. So suddenly, I'm like locked in. Right? I really want to know who this person is. And so they're talking. And they start pointing over. And eventually, she says, the boy in the black shorts. And so I look over. And I see him. He's making like this game-saving die for the volleyball, black shorts and all. This kid's
1: got it all,
0: man. Got it made. And I was like, that's the guy. If I can't be him. I want to be friends with him, right? And I was like, well, you know, better luck next time, Chris. The end of the day comes, and we're getting ready. We're packing up. We're heading to the car, and one of the girls comes up to me. She's like, hey, my friend has a crush on you. And it was that moment where I looked down and realized I had been wearing black shorts all along. My own insecurities didn't allow me to see that I was the black shorts boy. They were looking right at me, and I went, over there? Surely you're not pointing at me, right? I couldn't see any way possible that this girl would like me. Because all I could see Or my own insecurities, what was wrong with me. What we have in this story is people who actually can see, their eyes are opened. There's something miraculous that's happening. But surrounding these two people that we just read about is a whole nation, a whole world of nations of people who cannot see what's going on. Some of them because of their insecurities, some of them because of their fears, some of them because of their sin and their selfishness and their rebellion. Some of them maybe because they don't want to see, because they like the way things are. Some of them just because they don't know any better. And I love that what we just read right now ends with Anna going out and telling everybody. Like Simeon's like, this was great. I could die a happy man now. I've seen the promised rescuer come into the world. And Anna's like, this is great. I've seen the rescuer. Let me tell everyone who hasn't seen because there are going to be people who can see things, like kind of like watch people, who can see and need to alert others. When we were in South Carolina last week, we were at Myrtle Beach with uh, my wife's sister and her family. And so my brother-in-law and I were at, at the shore with all the kids. So we had six kids. They have three girls. We had three boys. And I went into the water with all six of them. We're playing. We're having a good time. And I look over and I see my brother-in-law saying, hey, call the kids in. And the waves were getting crazy, like it was just crashing pretty hard against us. So I was like, okay, maybe he's nervous about the waves. So I was like, come on, guys, let's go in for a second. And then I realized everybody's coming out of the water. So we get out. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know, lifeguard just started telling everyone to get out. I was like, you think it's a shark? And he's like, I don't know what's going on. Or I'm thinking maybe it was the lifeguards worried about the waves. Sure enough, two sharks come swimming up right in the shallow end right where we were just in the water. I had no idea. I couldn't see it because out there in the water, getting hit by the waves, just having a good time. Totally oblivious to it. But thank God that there's someone out there watching who could see, had a better line of sight and vision than I had, and could warn everybody. They were like five-foot sharks. I don't know what kind they are. I'm not an expert in... Yeah, terminology or anything. So, (laughs) but yeah, these two like five foot sharks. I don't know if they're full grown or babies. Either way, their teeth were massive and uh, they swam right by where we were. So, we need to be a watchful people. God is at work in his world today still. And a lot of times we don't see it because our eyes are focused on ourselves. That's our insecurity. We're focused on what's going on around me. God, why aren't you doing this in my life? God, how come this is happening to me? God, why can't I get this together? Right? Or maybe we're so focused on the brokenness we see around us. What's happening in this world? What's going on with this country? Like, how could people think this way? Why are people doing this? Why is our government. And that's our focus. And we miss how God is at work doing something miraculous. So you have a whole nation of people, Israel who have been waiting, and they've been prepped for this their whole lives, for generations, their grandparents and their great-grandparents were telling them, one day God promised that a Messiah, that's this anointed king, this special rescuer from God, would come and set all things right and rescue you, Israel, because you've been oppressed and enslaved by all these other nations. Right now it's the Roman Empire. You've been prepped for this your whole lives, to watch for this Messiah. And they all miss it. Here's the worst part. Many of them miss it because they are holding on to their religion so tightly. They are holding on to their tradition and their customs. I was just having a conversation with Tim right before we started here, up here on on this little platform. And we were talking about something he heard in a podcast. I should have warned you, like, when you talk to me, I'm like, that's going in the sermon, buddy. He, he, he said that this comment was made in the podcast where someone said something to the effect of, like, um, when, when sometimes our tradition is being passed on, instead of the fire of God being passed on, it's ashes. Did I butcher that? Pretty good, right? Okay. What, what does that mean? It means the, the life is gone. It's been all burnt up, and you just get the, what remains on the outside, right? It's the ashes passed on and not the fire fire of God, the presence, the the power, what he's really doing at work. So you had Pharisees, the religious elite people, who were trying so hard to follow all the right rules and obey all the right laws and trying to keep other people in check too. And yes, there are some of them who were a mess and they were trying to use that just to get themselves a position of power. But there were many of them who were actually really trying to follow God. But they were so fixated on following all the right rules that they couldn't see that God was sending a rescue to the most unlikely. So let's back up to Luke 1. And what we're first clued into is a separate part of this family. Not Mary and Joseph, but another couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is an old man. He's a priest serving in the temple And his wife, Elizabeth, they're both faithful people. They love the Lord, we're told. They're trying to serve him. He's going to serve in the temple. And then a messenger from God appears. This, like, crazy figure out of nowhere in the temple. No one else is supposed to be in there. An angel, a warrior messenger from God named Gabriel shows up. It says, hey, Zechariah, good news. I know you and your wife have been waiting to have a child your whole life and you've given up hope because you feel like you're too old for that now. Sounds like a familiar story. We found a time or two in the Old Testament, right? God loves to do things in the unlikely ways. I know you've been waiting for a child. Good news, your wife is pregnant. She's going to have a boy. I want you to name him John. And what he's going to do is he's going to help other people watch out for the coming rescuer. He's going to help open people's eyes to see God's rescue coming. And this is what's crazy. Zechariah, a man who's devout to serving God, he sees this figure appear out of nowhere, but he can't see how God would give him a baby. He can't see how God will come through and the thing that they wanted and desired the most in their lives. He can't see past the hurt and the disappointment all the past failed attempts. He can't see that God would actually show up in the least likely of moments to come through. But he sees this figure in front of him, like a miraculous vision. And he can't see God doing that. So in that moment, what happens is the angel says, the messenger Gabriel says, okay, fine, since you didn't believe me and I have come from God to give you this message, your mouth's going to be shut up until the baby's born. So this guy who's a priest and he he has to speak as part of his job comes out of the temple and everyone can see there's like something about him. He must have seen a vision and he can't talk. He can't say what's going on, right? So that's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They end up having John who we might know as John the Baptist. He's actually a, a distant relative of Jesus. Elizabeth is Mary's older cousin. So then you get this Next scene, it's like watching a movie and like cut scene goes black, goes to another couple, right? And you get this young girl, Mary. And the same messenger from God, Gabriel, appears to her. Mary, you're blessed and favored in the sight of God. He loves you, He cares for you. And listen, He's going to give you a child. And Mary has a similar question. She's like, How could this be? Because I've never been with a man before. The mechanics of that don't seem to make sense, right? But her question is not about doubt, about not seeing that this is happening, like God has sent a messenger right now. Her question is about, I don't understand how this could work, but okay, right? Because she ends the conversation with this messenger, Gabriel, saying, see, I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you said, let it be. This is a scary moment for her. She's probably, a lot of people think, like 12 or 13 She's not married yet. You know what happens to a young girl who has a child before she's married? You know what happens to a young girl who has a child not with the husband that her family set her up with? Because that was a business transaction. So if you've gone and you've had a child with another man when I gave cattle for you, that was this culture. not good. A lot of times, it would lead to a death. This is a scary moment for her. What does she do when she goes and tells Joseph, the guy that she's engaged to be married to, hey, I'm pregnant. And He's like, that's not mine, right? They're going on Mori Povich or whatever that show is and doing a DNA test. Like, it's not my baby. Screaming at each other. That didn't happen. Not in the Bible. bipolar problem. This. This is a moment of like, this is crazy. And yet she sees. God is up to something. She accepts it. Whatever you say, I know it's from the Lord. Let it be. She sees it. And then she goes and she visits her cousin, Elizabeth, this older woman. And she's already like six months pregnant at this time. And the moment she comes in the door, Elizabeth sees what her husband could not see. God at work. And not only that, but the child inside of her, John, the one anointed by the Spirit to prepare the way to help people see the coming rescuer, in the womb starts dancing around for joy because the presence of God is coming in the womb of this young girl. And so Elizabeth starts praising, like, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come visit me? This is her young cousin. She has no status over her. She probably saw her as a young infant crying and maybe even helped change her. She recognizes there's something bigger than Mary going on here. God is at work through the most humble, lowly, least likely person ever. God's at work here. How could they see this? And Mary starts letting out this praise, this song of praise how could God see me of all people? Why would he choose me of all We sang that song, right? Like, what were the words in that song? Who are we that you would save us? Who are we that you would send us? God loves to work in the least likely people. And why is that? One, I think partly to show off, <laughs> right? Like, this is obvious it's not from these people. Like I said, my, my family's still like, this dude talks in front of people. Like, it's obvious it's not me, right? The one, is, it's God's power on display. But two, I, I really think that when God does that, what he's doing is he's inviting all of us to recognize we are all the low, least likely of people. That all of us, see the problem is the people who don't see it, the worst. The ones who never have their eyes open. The ones who, by the end of Jesus' time here on this earth, 33 years, he's still trying to convince them, and he starts to get even more forceful with his language, more blunt, more straightforward, and they still aren't buying it. Those are the people who think they've got it all together. They don't need to see anything else. Because they've done everything they need to do in themselves. They're not looking for a savior because they think they've done it themselves the least likely people the lowly people in society the people no one would expect this from know that they're in need and they see God's at work they see God because they've gotten themselves out of the way God I don't know why you would do this through me Mary says but but you're here you see me may that be our prayer God I I don't know why you see me but you See me and let us be astounded by that. And because you see me, help me to see you more clearly. Help me to see what you're doing, how you're at work in this world. God, help me to go out and to share that with other people. Like the lifeguard on the beach. Like Anna, the prophetess. God, you've opened my eyes. And there's so many people who still have their eyes shut. We're given this this call, this mission, this purpose, that when God opens our eyes, it's not just so that we can die happy, but it's so that we can actually take that and share that and, Lord willing, help open the eyes of others around us. This whole theme of seeing, seeing Jesus for who he really is, it's all throughout Luke 1 and 2. So I encourage us all to read this in your own time. Read all through, both chapters. Uh, Read all of Luke, really, but we're going to keep covering it. So read those two chapters, and you see this continue over and over again. What happens? This messenger, he goes and he shows up to a bunch of shepherds out in the field, and they see this miraculous vision. Again, the lowly, humble people, the shepherds that everyone just set them aside from them because why? They stink. They're hanging out with animals all day, right? And they're doing a job that servants do. And a messenger chooses to show up. God chooses to send a messenger them and say, hey, the king of the world is here now. God is restoring his kingdom. And they see and they believe and they, they go to visit. They go to see for themselves. Then you have that moment with Anna, with Simeon, and then Jesus, as he grows a little older, we're told, it kind of fast forwards again, cut scene again. Jesus is 12 years old, back at the temple. And this is crazy to me uh, as a parent, but it gives me a little bit of like Grace, as a parent, they leave and it takes about a day's journey before they realize he's not with them. I've been left at a soccer practice before when I was a kid, uh, but thank God it didn't take a whole day for my parents to come back and find me. They're a whole day out. Like, wait, Jesus, the Son of God, this miraculous birth, where's that guy at right now? I guess we should go back and get him. So they go back and they're like, hey, He's there teaching in the temple. He's teaching grown people. And, like, where were you? Don't ever do that to us again. You scared us. This is the Chris Preview translation. I'm paraphrasing here. But they tell him, don't do that again. And he says, why were you searching for me? Shouldn't you know that I would be doing my father's work, that I would be in my father's house? He's essentially saying, this is what I came here for you want to seek me, you know where to find me. If you're looking for me, you know where to go. I'm about the work of the Father, the work of God, bringing restoration, reconciliation, wholeness, renewal to all the world, teaching people what they're missing, helping them to see what they can't see, all in the scriptures. It's been pointing to him this whole time, and they're missing it. So he goes, this is where I'm at. You know where to find me. Here's the challenge to us, Messiah: What places are we trying to look for salvation in? What places are we trying to look for rescue or hope or joy in? And the hard part is that some of us in here might be actually looking right where we think we should be looking. Right, But here's the thing. When we open this as a textbook to study, we're missing it. We're not seeing Jesus. When we open this, this is God's word given to us. This is his address to us that he wants us to see, hear, and know him personally. We have a much better shot. When we're searching for Jesus, for salvation, for rescue, for favor from God by doing all the right things externally, obeying all the rules, following it to a T, we might be missing it. But when we humbly come and say, God, I am a wreck and I need you, who am I that you would save me? And yet you see me. Now listen, I'm not saying that gives us a free pass to not follow the rules, right? What I'm saying is we come to him in a different posture then and we see more clearly our need And then we see more clearly his amazing grace and love poured out on us, which then gives us the actual power and ability to follow and obey. Part of that following and obeying, this is the beginning of Jesus showing up. Let's fast forward again Cutscene. scene. Jesus has already died. He's risen again. He appears to his followers, his disciples. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, but this is what he says first. They've seen him, right? Just like Anna at the temple. She saw him. And What did she do? She went out and told people. Jesus says, you've seen me. You know that all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Matthew 28. You read verses 16 through 20. He says, now, go as you go. Make disciples. Help others see. Teach them everything that I have commanded you follow and obey me, baptize them. That means immerse them in a new identity in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And remember, I'm with you still. I'm always with you. Always with you to the very end. They saw Jesus. They saw his miraculous work in their lives, His miraculous work in the world. And now they had a job to go and tell. That's our job still today. Would you guys pray with me that we would do that faithfully by the power of the Spirit with God's help because we are lowly and in need. Amen.